Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for church? Come on! If we have not met, my name is Ali, and my wife and I, we planted this church six years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come and grow in their faith, but unchurched people, listen, could explore faith. So if you're new to church, you got invited by your friend, or maybe your, your boyfriend dragged you, welcome. No one's nervous about that. We're just going to ask all the guests to come up and pray for the church. I'm just kidding. Can you imagine that? We are in a collection of talks called Pray First. Someone say, Pray First. We are a loud church, so if you hear something good, shout back at me. Our tribe, our tribe, we are a loud church, and we are in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And today is day 14, and it's 14 days too long. I've been eating grass, bark, as my wife said. I'm over it. Can we all agree when we get to heaven, we can punch Daniel in the throat? Why did he create this crazy fast? But in week one of this collection of talks, we talked about how do you pray messy, that sometimes when you, you don't even know how much you doubt until you pray. And then you don't know how much you, you lack the promises of God until you get in the prayer closet. And then week two, we talked about how do you pray at all times? And the number one answer we heard from people was, Pastor, I don't feel like praying. And the principle we learned last week is if you pray your feelings, you'll always feel like praying. Amen? And I'm going to give you the title of talks, today's talk like this. It's simply this, Praying Distracted. How do you pray when you're distracted? Because listen, no one will tell you the secret. Praying is hard. And some of you are super spiritual. That offends you. Welcome to Bold Church. I'm going to offend you every week. <laughs> Listen, just because something's easy doesn't mean it can't be hard. Listen, being healthy requires you to eat right and work out. And from what I'm looking, half of you can't do it. Oh. To all the guests, welcome to Bold Church. You can email me at yasmin at bold.church. Please let me know how you feel. But th that's the big idea, right? H easy things sometimes are hard to do. I learned this when I was 10 years old, and I wanted some extra money. So my friends and I, we literally took a lawnmower, and we went to 1,000 houses around the neighborhood. And, and this is our pitch. How much do you pay to mow your lawn? Oh, we'll do it for half, for $10, for $5. And we eventually got 50 people to pay us 5 bucks. Over a thousand houses, and all we made was $250. It was awful. Spent three months killing myself, pushing a lawnmower around. And I realized it's not money that I wanted, I wanted easy money. And, I, and this, listen, easy money comes in one of two ways scam or illegal. And I'm Middle Eastern. If I do anything illegal, it's safer in prison than in my home. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you Mexicans, it's the chunkla, it's coming for you, right? In Middle Eastern culture, it's the broom. It's way harder. But the point is this. Sometimes easy things are still challenging, and many of you gave up on prayer as soon as you started because it's hard. But let me tell you a promise. 90% of your problems are on the other side, on the other side of praying. What about the other 10%? Therapy, a good job, eating right. But the 90% of your problems will, just solve, will be solved if you just simply get in the prayer closet. And I learned this the hard way. For three years, I led prayer in my old church. Every Thursday night, I'd get in the prayer room and from 7 to 8 p.m. And listen, I've been in the room with 20 people. I've been in the room with pastors and new believers. I've been in the room with one person, me, as the only other person. And I noticed the pattern. Everyone has this problem with prayer. 
And it's called Pray DD. Everyone gets distracted when you pray. Whether it's the pastor, I have this problem, Pastor Yaz has this problem. And listen, if you're new to church, if you're exploring Christianity, listen, you have this problem too. Everyone gets distracted in the prayer room. For some of you, it's people. You're a parent and you want to get up early in the morning, like, I'm going to pray. And then you hear this, Daddy, feed me. Feed yourself, girl. I'm praying right now. Right? Some of you, it's not someone knocking at the door. It's someone knocking on your phone. It's the Instagram uh, uh, tags. It's the notifications on your phone. And that's constant. Not just when your kids are hungry, but all the time, all day, every day. For me, though, I'm going to be honest. It's not just people that distract me. It's not just my phone. I distract myself. I'm going to lead you into a prayer that I prayed a couple weeks ago. And it, it, this is a real prayer. I pray, Lord, you love, your love for me is out of this world. At, into Mars and Neptune. Is Neptune still a planet? I think Pluto is. There was that one time my daughter took a picture with Pluto at Disneyland. Saturn's a planet. My roommate used to drive a Saturn in college. And then instead of praying, I'm Googling what happened to Saturn vehicles. <laughs> Listen, if you're not the only one who gets lost in distractions in prayer. That's the problem with prayer. We have our flesh. Only God is the one who is totally focused all the time. And this is why I love what Jesus says in this next verse, because he leans into this dysfunction that we all have. It's Matthew 26, verse 36, he says, and then Jesus went with his disciple to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. You need to understand something about Jesus. He had a dream team of about 72 people. If you're part of the dream team, can we make some noise this morning? They are the heartbeat of this church. They make this church happen. It's not built on the sacrifice or the talent of a few, but the sacrifice of many. So Jesus had 72, but listen, he did leadership with 12 people. There were 12 that he spent one-on-one -on -one time with. But then, listen, there's another smaller circle. He had a, a group of rider dies. He had a, a posse of people that he did life with, that he would lean on on the deepest, most troubling times of his life. Who are those people for you? If it's not in this room, you're in trouble. And those three were Peter, James, and John, and along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Next verse, and it says, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I love the humanity of Jesus. Sometimes you think Jesus rips his shirt open and it has a big J for Superman. No, no, he is fully human and fully God, and he is sorrowful to the point of death. He said, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, look at this picture. He, he fell with his face to the ground. He was not supposed to fall to the ground. He fell up with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you, keep, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked them. These are the best leaders that Jesus has. These men walked on water. They fed 5,000 people. They did miracles. And listen, even they were distracted in prayer. And then Jesus says this next line, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. This is so important. The spirit is weak, but the spirit is willing, sorry, but the flesh is weak. And I, for 10 years, misinterpreted this verse, not understanding what Jesus was trying to say. Listen, how many know tone is important when you send a text message? Anyone thankful for emojis? You say something hard, but you add a smiley face, and you know they're not going to misinterpret this. Jesus didn't have emojis. He didn't send us an audio message saying, guys, I want you to pray like this. All we had was a text message, and this is why tone is so important. This, this text is often misinterpreted as Jesus rebuking the disciples. 
He is not condemning them. He has, listen, compassion on them. He's the only one that can represent God and man. Listen, the only way that you can have a mediator is you need someone on both sides that can represent both sides well. How, who can represent God? Only God. Who can represent man? Only man. Who can represent both of us? A God-man. That's why Jesus is both. He's fully God. At the same time, he's fully man. And he put on cloth. He put on humanity. He got tired. He got excited when the Cowboys lost last week. Come on. He got excited when the Niners won last night. One game away from the Super Bowl. Come on. He was human. And at the same time, he got distracted in prayer. And he's not angry at the disciples. He's like, man, I know you want to, but your body won't. And then watch what he says. And he says, listen, it's called praying. Oh, and then he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And I wrote it like this. Maybe this will help you. Distraction is normal, so don't be embarrassed by it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Do you think that when Jesus was praying, God the Father was angry? Oh, my gosh. Why are you falling on your knees? Why, why can't you pray for two hours, Jesus? Come on, Jesus. You're better. Be strong. No, he knew that Jesus, even Jesus was distracted in prayer. And every time Jesus would come back to him, every time his flesh was weak but his spirit was strong, listen, the God the Father was pleased. See, you need to think about distractions in the same way that a gardener thinks of weeds. It doesn't matter how good you are. They're always coming back. The gardener doesn't get angry. He understands this is part of my job. In the same way, God the Father doesn't get angry when you're in your human flesh you get distracted. He understands you're not human. So in, there are many of you in this room, listen, let's be honest. You pray for 15 minutes, and like for 13 of them, you're thinking about animals. You're thinking about working out. And if you're a fella, you're thinking about your wife. Hello, come on. And then you beat yourself up. Like, why couldn't I pray for 15? And yet what you're doing is you're leaning in for those 15 minutes. And what Jesus sees is for 15 minutes, over and over again, you chose me. He's pleased. He's pleased. That's why I wrote like this. It's called paying attention for a reason. There's a cost. There's a sacrifice. There's a, there's a paying of a focus you have to give to God to, that when you are distracted, you're giving him something that doesn't feel natural. And so many times we will beat ourselves up over something that is so normal and natural to our humanity. And I love that Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So why should we pray even though we're distracted? Let me give you two reasons why we have to write like this. Why do we have to start with the why? Because in a room like this on Baptism Sunday, listen, there are many of you in this room, you tried prayer and you gave up. There are others of you, don't, you don't even believe in prayer. And there are others of you, listen, you, the only time you pray is for the one hour you're here in this room. And I want to encourage you, 90% of your problems will be solved simply by praying. But Pastor Ali, I'm always distracted. Let me give you two quick reasons why you should always pray. It comes from Matthew 26. It says, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And let me, under, let me kind of highlight this. Sometimes we think temptation is like giving into sin, saying no to God and yes to things. Let me give you a different definition that Jesus is trying to give us. It's simply this. Temptation is a feeding of desire. It's a feeding of desire. This is what advertising is, by the way. Trying to give you a desire for something that you don't want and trying to get their desired, desired output. My wife and I, she, she hates that I love Taco Bell so much. So we have this compromise where she says, you don't eat Taco Bell. Listen, and, I, I, and, and then she will have sex with me, right? This is a good... It's a great compromise. But the other day I was watching TV. We were watching TV and there was a commercial. None of you told me there's now a $3 menu at Taco Bell. 
The $1 menu was whack. The $3, bro, I was getting tempted sitting in, I had to look behind my shoulder just in case Pastor Yaz was in the room. And I looked at my TV and said, don't tempt me. That's what advertising does. It's trying to give you a desire for something else. And listen, you don't have a desire for God anywhere outside of this room. That's why you don't ever see commercials for God on TV. You don't see people on the beach like, oh my gosh, half naked. I'll see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> no, they're selling you a car or life insurance. I don't know how half naked people sell those things, but that's the reality. That the only place that you're going to get fed the temptation for God is in the prayer room. I wrote like this, prayer is the only place where it feeds your desire for God. It's the only place. And some of you may push back on Pastor Ali, but I'm here on Sunday. Yes, but you don't lose faith on Sunday. You find faith on Sunday. You know where you lose faith? On Monday when you're not praying. On Tuesday when work is hard. On Wednesday when your kids are going crazy. Some of you, it's as soon as you leave the parking lot, you're about to get in a fight with your kids. And the second reason why it's so important to pray, even though there's distraction, it comes from James chapter 4, verse 7. James, this is the half-brother of Jesus. Therefore, give in to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is very important to understand this, that oftentimes when we are praying, that often, let's just be real. We've we got vices. We've got addictions. We've got things that are holding us back from the things of God. And often we think, I'm going to get rid of this thing in my life with willpower. But James tells us the secret. The desire for those things will never go away. And when people, when I disciple people in our church who have addictions for a decade, they smoke weed all the time, they have a porn addiction, or they have anger problems, or maybe they have body weight issues, those issues, listen, will never go away. It's not that you don't love God, it's that you love that thing more than God. Let me say it another way. You don't have a porn problem, you have a love problem. Actually, you have a disordered love. And the way that you get rid of that thing is not by focusing on it. It's by leaning into God, by going harder after him. And as you pray to God and spend time with him, it's feeding the desire for God. And that thing becomes smaller and smaller and smaller in your life. I wrote like this. When God is all you need, it's amazing how little you want. When God is all you need, it's amazing how little you want. So those are the two reasons why we got to pray, even though there are distractions Listen, everyone in this room, let me encourage you. Everyone has prayed DD. And Jesus knows this. But when you lean in, it feeds your hunger for God and helps break off those shackles that you've had for your whole life. Number one, point number one, why we get distracted in the prayer room. I wrote like this. Recognize prayer isn't the only place you get distracted. I hear this all the time as a pastor. Pastor, I, I love the idea of prayer. I love being in a room when other people are praying. But Pastor Al, you don't understand. I'm unique. I'm a snowflake. I'm special. I get distracted. Full stop. Full stop. Listen, listen. Everyone has pray DD. Everyone gets distracted. Listen, I can go back to high school and watch you with the camera. When the teacher's teaching Galbra, you know what you're doing? You're falling asleep. I, I can come to your house when you're having dinner with your husband and your kids, and what are you doing? Instead of listening to your kids and enjoying them, you're on your phone. Doing what? Getting distracted. What about the bathroom, fellas? Some of you are there for 20 minutes. No one needs 20 minutes. You know what you're doing? You're getting distracted. We live in a world of full of distractions. And I, I worded like this. You do not have a prayer problem. You have an attention problem. You get distracted everywhere. So stop blaming God. Stop saying this is the only place. You're human. Just like Jesus. 
And we live in a world where our phones are vying for our attention, emails vying for our attention, TVs vying for our attention. Everyone wants a piece of your attention. And so the way I help you is with practical tools that have to work, happen outside the prayer room so that your life changes inside the prayer room. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you some tools that will increase your focus. Increase your focus where? Increase your focus at work. Increase your focus at, with your kids. Increase your focus with your business, with your creative stuff, business focus. And as your attention increases, your prayer life will increase. Point number one is this, milkshake multitasking. Now, before you say, where did Pastor Ali get this word from? Did I, make, I did not make this up. It comes from a book called Turn Your Brain On from a neuroscientist named Caroline Leaf. She wrote this great book. She's a follower of Jesus. She wrote this book about the dangers of multitasking. And she, she, wrote, she wrote these words. Every time we listen to an audiobook while doing the dishes, guilty. Every time we're checking emails while spending time with family, guilty. Every time we go to school while working on TV, some of you are guilty. Every time we're texting while driving, guilty. Every time we do that, it's like putting your brain in a milkshake, in a blender, you're messing it up. And what happens is you will never go to a deep level of uh, cognitive thinking. You will always stay shallow because you're never multitasking. You're doing one or the other, one or the other. And what it does is it overstimulates your brain so much that you want that constant uh, feeling of, of activity. And the negative consequence of multitasking outside the prayer room is when you get in the prayer room, it's like, awesome, I'm praying. And then your body and your brain say, what's next? And you can't enjoy prayer anymore. And what happens is when you need to multitask, it releases these endorphins that give you this pleasure principle, this pleasure feeling. And when you go into the prayer room and all you're doing is praying, your body tells you it's boring. And so you stop doing it. You got to stop milkshake multitasking. The word of God says it like this in Psalm 90, 86 verse 11. Teach me your ways, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided. Someone say undivided. He did not say multitasking heart. He said undivided heart that I may fear your name. And uh, part of the, uh, the research showed that they, they studied children who watched TV while they ate. Or they watched TV while they did homework. Or they watched TV, this is crazy, while they're playing video games on, like a, on a Nintendo Switch. And those children, as they grew up, had more higher levels of depression and anxiety and they could not sit still. Listen, if you did that as a child, you will hate prayer as an adult. So what's the antidote to this? And the antidote is simply this, super simple, very practical, practice doing one thing at a time. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to be very challenging for some of you who are addicted to your phone like Gollum is to the ring. My precious. <laughs> I want you to go to brunch after church and put your phone in your pocket. The entire meal. And some of you are going to be like reaching for your phone and be like, you want a napkin? No, no, I'm phantom grabbing my phone. <laughs> Second thing you do is when you're driving, don't, at a red light, you may justify pulling out your phone, leave your phone, do one thing at a time. And for me, this is super hard. I am, my wife, you know what she tells me? We want to be alive by the next place we go to. <laughs> Thank you, honey. I heard you. I'm, but it's a red light. No, even at a red light, don't look at your phone. Do one thing at a time. Second thing that we do that we got to stop to increase our attention is, I wrote like this, scroll addiction. When Facebook came out in 2005, it allowed you to tell the world what you were eating for breakfast when nobody cared. 
And then Instagram came out in 2010, and you could show the world what you were eating for breakfast through pictures. And then TikTok came out, and you could make a video of you eating the breakfast and showing the world. And if you notice, our attention spans have gotten shorter and shorter, and our addiction to these social media platforms has increased more and more. When it was just text, we would spend a certain amount of time. When it became pictures, it became even more. And now with videos, the average person is spending over, listen, two to three hours a day on TikTok. It's crazy. And listen, it's designed to make it addictive. I hear this comment all the time. I was on TikTok for an hour. I totally lost track of time. Did you know TikTok did a survey? And they tried to figure out what's the greatest length of time on a video. And they realized it's one minute. Because if it's longer than a minute, it, it, if it's under a minute, it keeps distracting you from the problems of your life. But if it's longer than a minute, you go back to reality. So they forced all the videos to be around a minute so that you can spend more and more time on the app. And listen, this is what people do with drugs. They're trying to distract themselves from the pain. This is why people have a one-night stand, trying to distract themselves from the pain in their marriage. Listen, I wrote like this, you can't complain. You can't use social media as a distraction and then complain later that it is a distraction. It's designed to do that. And listen, I'm not anti-social media. I think it's a platform. It's awesome. It's a way to connect with friends. God is using it to preach the gospel. I'm not anti. The problem is not you using Instagram. The problem is, is Instagram using you? Do you have it or does it have you? That's why the Word of God says this in 1 Corinthians 6. I have the right to do anything. You say, Paul's quoting what someone said to him. And often we have this in our, our idea that the world falls in two categories, God or sin, good and bad. And there's actually a, a spectrum. There's God, there's sin, and then in the middle, God doesn't say anything. It's just stupid. To be a Cowboys fan is stupid. It's not sin. I hope you don't do that, but it's not sinful yet. Right? Right? So is social media sinful? Of course not. That's not the question that Paul's saying. That's, that's not the question you should be asking. The question is this, but not everything is beneficial. Is it beneficial for you? I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Here's how I know you have an addiction to social media. Limit to 15 minutes a day and see how many times you break that, that limit. Do you have social media? Does social media have you? So what is the antidote to scroll addiction? This is going to be countercultural. Simply this. Practice being bored. My, my wife does it awesome with my kids. On Saturday, if it's raining, we don't want them addicted to TV. They go, Dad, Mom, I'm so bored. And my wife, she'll beat me to it. She'll like, good. I'm like, what? <laughs> go to your room. Use your imagination. My kids are like, uh, and they'll complain for 20 minutes. And then, little behold, they'll use their imagination and play a game for three hours using tools they never even thought. That's what happens in the prayer room, I'm telling you, because you've multitasked everywhere else, your body will tell you prayer is boring. And the real issue is that you have been medicating your problems so long that you never sit down and distract yourself. That's the whole point of prayer. Allow yourself to be bored so that God can bring to surface all the ways that you've been medicating your problems. Let God heal it, amen? One more, over-accessibility. Over, you got to stop doing these three, three things. We got to stop milkshake multitasking. We got to stop scroll addiction. We got to stop over accessibility. For the average person in this room that has social media, there are probably a half dozen ways I can reach out to you. I could call you. I could text you. I could be evil like my worship leader and send you a voice memo that's three minutes long. 
I could tag you on social media. I could DM you on social media. There are so many. And it's the, that's the problem, that you are overly accessible to people. Watch what Jesus did, who was, by the way, the greatest leader who ever lived. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, he says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this may seem like, oh, of course Jesus prayed. This is right after his greatest day of ministry in his three years. He casted out demons the day before. He led thousands to faith the day before. He did miracles. He's about to blow up on Instagram. And the very first thing he does, he does not go to his phone and go, how many new followers do I have? He doesn't go to his email and say, how many people want to spend time with me? The very first thing he does is he goes alone to be alone with the Father. Here's the antidote for all of us that are super attached and people have access to us. It's simply this. Practice getting away. You need to learn not just to pray in groups, but to pray by yourself. I, I, I don't have this on the screen, but there are five, what I wrote in my notes, bonus tips I want to give you. Uh, number one is this. Change your posture. For the first couple of years, I would pray as soon as I got up. I'm like, Lord, I love you. And I, in 20 seconds into my prayer, I'd fall asleep. No, you got to get up. You might need to change your posture if you want to have an undistracted prayer time. Number two, I wrote like this. Open your eyes. Did you know there's not actually a verse in the Bible that tells you to pray with your eyes closed? It's actually detrimental because when you close your eyes, you go to your inner thoughts. Third thing I wrote down is walk around. The very first, the very first spiritual rhythm in the Bible is not praying. It's not, it's not reading your Bible. It's not fasting. It's not going to church. The very first spiritual rhythm in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 2. It says Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine? Every night, Adam would come home from work, and him and God would just walk in the garden. It was a prayer walk. That's the first spiritual rhythm. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is after dinner, go on a prayer walk alone so you can talk to your father. The other thing is uh, uh, no phone. You need to learn to, some of you will, your, your, your pillow, your phone is underneath your pillow. You have anxiety if you can't touch your pillow from your bed. God forbid. Have you ever seen people lose their phone? It's like they lost a child. And you need to learn. And the problem with your phone is as soon as you look at it, you see the world events, you see the chaos of yesterday, you see what's happening on the East Coast, you see all the emails, what your boss wants, what your kids wants, and those things will feed your distractions. If there's one thing I can tell you, you and I all have prayed ED, so don't feed it. Leave your phone. Pray before you touch your phone. Because those things will only make prayer harder. And the last one is this. Learn to pray out loud. Sometimes you get lost in your prayers because you're not hearing yourself pray. Is this helping anybody? Yeah. Point number two, point number two, why we need to pray, why we get distracted is this. I wrote like this. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. The Bible has many names for him. I wrote some of them down. The devil, Lucifer, Satan. Jesus even called him the great Cowboys fan. He has many names in the scriptures. I, I'm trying to keep you awake. And often what we don't realize is there is a real enemy, a spiritual attack on our lives. And too many Christians feel like the enemy is not there. And so you try to solve all of your natural problems without spiritual solutions. And you buy all your self-help books, it will never help. Because spiritual problems, listen, need spiritual solutions. 
And the other problem is he's there and you're waiting for God to take him away and God won't. He wants to give you the keys to push him out of your prayer closet. I'm going to show you how powerful this is because, listen, how obvious is it that there is an enemy? If there's one thing that's going to change your life, don't you think he'd want to stop you from doing that? Listen, I didn't even know how much I doubted until I began to pray. I didn't know how much I feared the health and safety of my children until I started to pray. You got to realize that's how he attacks. He attacks with lies and he attacks with thoughts. Can I prove it to you? First Chronicles 21 verse 1, it says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited. Someone say incited. The Hebrew word is a person who's trying to persuade you over and over again. He doesn't just tell it to you once. He tells it to you, and the first time you hear it, of course I'm not going to do that. And then he tells you it again. And then he tells you it again. And he's trying to persuade you again until you're like, maybe I should do that. And you begin to think the lie came from you. And you begin to think the lie is, it's not that bad. Where does that come from? That's his job. The cartoons have him with a sword and a pitchfork. Nuh-uh. He comes with little whispers trying to persuade you. And watch what happens. He persuaded David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report back to me that I may know how many they are. Let me tell you why this was a sin for David to do this. Because every time Israel went to war, they never counted. It didn't matter if the other team had 500,000 or a million people. Us, with God versus you, you're always going to lose. But the moment you count, how much do we have? We have 30. How many do they have? Oh, 10. We got this. And then you don't need to pray anymore. And that's what David was doing. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants to do everything he can to get you to stop praying. You know what I'll tell you? You're smart. You went to college. You don't need to ask God. You have the intelligence and the money to solve this. He will build you up your ego. So that like David, I don't need God. When the whole point of not counting was to realize no matter how strong you are, you will always need God. Anyone here with two kids in the room? Anyone here with two kids? There's always a season, depending on the age, where you long for your kids to like each other. But I'm in that season where they're old enough to play with each other, but then they're too young enough to like like each other. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Where they play with each other, but Zoe, she's like half Persian half gangster, dude. She will like gut punch my, my young, older daughter. And she, she, doesn't, does it, she doesn't do it when I'm in the room, by the way. Zo- Sophie will come in like, Dad, please help me. I'm like, what happened? She goes, Sophie, Zoe punched me in the stomach. I was like, what? And I look at Zoe, I'm like, Zoe, did you do that? She looked at me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's this prayer, this longing that my wife and I, we want our kids to be best friends. Like, I saw this video the other day. I'm like, babe, let's pray this over our kids. Watch this video real quick. In, in Brazil, they have this tradition where the, first, the person who's their birthday, when they cut the cake, they give it to the person they love the most. And this is an older brother, and watch what he does. You can stop the video. It's okay to cry. It's okay. It's just sawdust in the room. I remember watching this video. I'm like, babe, 
I want our kids to be best friends. And then right now, they're Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant right now. And every time they fight, it always ends the same. Sophie goes, I'm telling dad. I wish you could prophetically see the the power in that. Some of you are so smart, you don't need God. Some of you have so much money, you you don't even need anyone. You go to the doctors for your medication. You go to the lawyers for wisdom. And God will bring you to a place where your power, your intelligence, your good looks won't work anymore. And you have to say, Dad, I'm telling Dad. Because there's one person and only one person the enemy fears. He doesn't fear your intelligence. He doesn't fear your good looks. He doesn't care how many followers you have on Instagram. He fears the father. Because when the dad walks in the room, Zoe runs away. Let me tell you, the enemy, when he's in your prayer closet, he will run. For many of you in this room, you've been dealing with fear, procrastination, fears of insecurities, I'm not enough. Oh, my, my sister bought a house. When am I going to buy a house? And it's this constant lack, this constant fear. And you wonder, I'm coming to church. Why is it not going away? God's waiting for you to push him away. Watch what it says in 2 Corinthians. Oh, I'm sorry. Some thoughts. I wrote like this. Some thoughts. Previous one. See, some thoughts are legit, but some thoughts are lies. And you need discernment. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Then you'll know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. You don't know discernment is not a gift. It's something that grows over time as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when when you're praying, listen, you're going to get some crazy thoughts. And you need discernment. Is this a lie or is this legit? Let's say, for example, you're praying and I need milk. You know what I do? I bring a notebook with me in the prayer room. So I write down that crazy thought. That one's legit, by the way. I need milk. But as soon as it comes, I pivot back from the distraction back to prayer. But then there are times I hear, you're only praying for five minutes and you're a pastor. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? And it's not just you that gets condemnation. It's me. And when I write that thought down, I go, oh, where, I know where that's from. That's a lie. So what do you do when the lie comes? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Watch this. It says, we take captive. Someone say Captive. You're putting it in a bag. You're handcuffing it. It has no power anymore. You take captive every thought. That is a lie from the enemy. And you make. Someone say make. That's your responsibility. And you will think God's not a good father by letting the enemy bark in your ear. No, he wants you to grow up, take your diapers off, and do it yourself. Can I show you what Jesus does? This is Matthew verse 16. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him because Jesus just said, I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to resurrect. And they did not understand the plan of salvation. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely of human concerns. Jesus gives us the formula. The first point is this. You need to rebuke the enemy in your life. You have to do it. God will not rebuke the enemy for you. You take that thought and you make it obedient to Christ. A couple years ago, this is 2021, we're 
we had just come out of COVID. We were probably 200 people before COVID, two years old as a church, and then we spent the next 60 weeks online. And I remember the first time we came back, it was like, where is everyone? And it wasn't just us, it was like every church. But we were such a young church, the loss was even harder. And we didn't just like lose people, we lost our location, we lost, our, we lost everything. And we, we began to do church, I remember April of May of 2021, for the next two years at five o'clock. And began, depression began to come in, began to have fears of my calling. Am I, am I called to do this? Like there's no one here, Lord. And I remember my mentor knew how much I was struggling, and so he invited me to his church. The only problem is church has 5,000 people. And I was preaching every week to a room of 50, and I'm doubting my calling. So watch this picture of this room that I was in. This is a Sunday morning at like 7 a.m. We're doing rehearsal practice. We're going through run-through. There's 2,500 seats in this auditorium. And I go to one of the staff and I go, man, how many people come each service? Like, oh, he's got 1,800, 1,900. Why? And as soon as he said that, I'm like, how many services do we have? He goes, we have three. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. What did I do? Why did I say yes? And I'm immediately struck by fear. You're not called to do this. You don't have what it takes to do this. And the enemy was tormenting me until I took that thought captive and said, I'm called. He anointed me to do this. I may not have the skills, but his spirit gives me those skills. He called me to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath. You have to grow up, church, and you have to rebuke those lies that the enemy gives in the prayer, because you know, if you knew the ROI on prayer, you'd pray more. Stop beating yourself up. Everyone's got to AD, pray DD. But the second thing Jesus does, he looks at Peter and says, you're looking at this from a hu human perspective, not man's perspective. See, the enemy, what he'll do is, he'll, he will remind you of truth, but it's a partial truth. So he'll read a sentence to you, but he'll stop reading where there's a comma, hoping you'll put a period where God wants to put a comma. You're not good enough to be on that stage. I know what you did on Tuesday. You watched those links. You shouldn't go to church. Why are you in the prayer closet? Everyone knows what you smoked last night. And he'll stop, and there's a comma. And he hopes long enough that you will eventually believe that lie that you don't deserve to be in the presence of God. But just finish the sentence. From man's perspective, that's true. I, even me, I don't have the righteousness to stand on this stage. But I'm thankful for Jesus. That even on my best day, I'm not good enough to be in the kingdom. I'm not good enough, but I'm thankful for the one who sent his son to die for me. Amen? Finish the sentence. When the lie comes, finish it for him. You got to take the thought. And you got to make it obedient to Christ. Point number three is my last one. Why do we get distracted? I wrote like this. We keep thinking about what we have to do after prayer. It's natural. We're praying, God, use me. God, I'm praying for my kids. God, I'm praying for my work. And you want to get to that next thing. But often what you don't realize is God is the thing. He is the reward of prayer. Anything that God could give you as a result of prayer, 
pales in comparison to him. That's why every prayer meeting is successful, because Jesus was there. Watch what happens in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, someone shout Martha, Martha. opened her home to him. She had a sister named called Mary. Someone say Mary. Mary. Who sat at the Lord's feet. Watch the difference between these two women. But Martha was distracted. Someone say distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset by many things. But the few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. As a Middle Eastern, I understand fully what this text is about. Because my mom would come to my room on a Thursday night and be like, clean your room. I'm like, why? The cleaners are coming tomorrow. (laughs) We can't have the house be dirty in front of the cleaners. And there's this pressure to be the perfect host. Because if you don't, there's shame. And that's what Martha's feeling. I got to cook. I got to clean the house. Tell my sister to help me. And she's like, the thing you're doing is good, but what your sister's doing is greater. I wrote like this, distractions, they will tell you and show you what you love, what you trust, and what you fear. What pulls you away from prayer? When you're praying alone with God, where does your mind go? It reveals something about your relationship with God. I wrote like this. There's something there that we love more than God, trust more than God, and fear more than God. Let me show you from my own life because I want to be the first person to repent. Uh, This last February, we were, as a church, struggling financially. We had spent... Two years at 5 o'clock living off our savings. We came into this building literally as the great theologian, I think his name is Axel Rose, living on a prayer. You know what I'm talking about. Bon Jovi, thank you. And I, it wasn't because I was spiritual or like righteous that I'd wake up early morning. The pressure of this job, I'd wake up in a cold sweat. Sometimes 4.30 in the morning, sometimes 5 a.m. And I couldn't even get out of bed to do the normal daily activities without an hour of prayer. And it wasn't like a day. It was weeks upon weeks where I'd wake up anxious, praying like crazy, and then I'd go to my day. And then one day, I talked about this on team night. For many of you in this room, you didn't hear the story. Gentleman comes in the room. He's in the back of the room back there. I still see him. He's standing with a Bible in his hand. In my mind, I'm like, why is he staying? Am I that bad as a preacher? He doesn't want to sit down. And as soon as I'm done with my sermon, I walk to the back of the room. I was doing the hallway. Start saying hi to guests. He grabs my arm and goes, I need to talk to you, Pastor. I said, I knew he wasn't part of our church. I'm like, bro, let me just speak to these guests, and I'll give you all the time you want. So I spent time with some guests, and what I thought was five minutes was actually like 10 or 15. And I turn around, and the guy's gone. And I'm like, doggo. When Pastor Doggo, where's that guy that was staying in the back of the room? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of weird. I'm like, what it was? He's like, his wife was in the car the whole time. And the car was running. 
I'm like, bro, that's so weird. I'm like, what did he want? He's like, oh, he just had this envelope, and he told me to tell you, tell your pastor God hears his prayers. So I took that envelope, threw my backpack, and this was Super Bowl Sunday last year. I'm watching the Super Bowl, and I open up my bag to count the offering, and this is the picture that I took. Now, I'm not a drug dealer. I've never counted that much money before. But I remember doing this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Because my brain told me that's about $2,000. I was way off. It was $20,000 in cash. That's the cool part, that God hears our prayers. Here's the bad part. As soon as the money came in, my prayers went away. Three or four months later, the pressure of finances come back. And I remember God immediately convicting me, saying, if I gave you everything you wanted, Ali, would you still pray? Hmm. Sometimes even your pastor could be a Martha. And there are often some of you in this room, the worst thing God could ever do is give you everything you wanted because you'd stop talking to him. The lack is a blessing because it keeps you connected. With every eye closed and every head bowed. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you understand that when we pray, we get distracted. We all have pray, DD. But God, show us how to grow our attention span so we can focus in the prayer room. God, I pray, Lord, that we would recognize we have an enemy who's going to feed and per try to persuade us of lies that will keep us from you. But when we call to our Father in heaven and say, Dad, help. I pray, Lord, that when the enemy does lie and his thoughts are holding us captive, that we take those thoughts captive and we make them obedient to Christ. And God, maybe recognize sometimes we pray and when we get the thing we're praying for, the house, the wife, the girlfriend, we sometimes stop praying. Forgive us, God, for wanting things more than you. Forgive us, God, that we are so fickle, so distracted by so many things. But I'm thankful for a Lord who understands. This is a time for you to just talk to God. Pray to him. He's your dad. Whether it's for an hour a day or a minute a day, he's excited that you're there. And stop beating yourself up when you get distracted in the prayer closet. He sees his kid choosing him over and over and over again, despite the distractions. Now, for some of you in this room, it's, let me tell you the gospel. Let me tell you the good news. We can have a relationship with God. God can hear our prayers. But you have to be connected to the Father. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no salvation. There is no having a relationship with God apart from Jesus. And for some of you in this room, you, you didn't know that Jesus left heaven as God to be the one mediator between God and man. 
He's the only one that can represent God fully and the only one that can represent man fully because he's both God and man. And he did not come to give us some prayers. He did not come to give us a book or a church. He came to die on a cross for our sins. And if you are exploring faith and you want to start a relationship with the living God, you must do it through Jesus and his death on a cross for you. With every eye closed and with every head bowed, and you've been feeling this tug on your heart while I've been preaching, God wants to hear. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the garden the way he did it with Adam. He wants to do life with you, but you gotta receive his son, Jesus. And if you wanna do that this morning, it'd be my honor to pray with you. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I wanna count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up if that's you. You wanna start a relationship with the living God. One, two, Three, shoot your hand up, shoot your hand up, shoot your hand up, shoot your hand up. Yes, I see your hand over there. Yes, I see your hand over there. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, 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 yes. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would leave heaven to come die for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank God that even when I pray distracted, you understand. Lord, I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin and come back to you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for forgiveness. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give me the hands that went up. Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.